You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Soprano Susanna Phillips, tenor Giuseppe Filianotti, and conductor Massimo Zanetti are backstage at Lyric. For those of you who may not know, bel canto means beautiful singing. And so at the end of the day, if you were to sit down and listen to the opera without seeing anything, you would still get the dramatic intention behind what's going on. It's the perfect synthesis of drama and music. The most uh, interesting thing for audience is to understand there is a fate that is against love from the beginning. That made love more interesting for us. And we are waiting for maybe this time is the, the real one. They can stay together, yes, always in another life. In that time, the struggle for Donizetti was between how to maintain, to keep the traditions, so things that people wanted to hear, and to start with new things, to start to present new way to present music. Thank you for listening to this edition of Backstage at Lyric. This time, we present an audio transcript of the Lyric Opera Discovery Series session for Donizetti's Lucia di Lammermoor. For those of you not familiar with the Discovery Series, it's a series of panel discussions with the singers, conductors, directors, scholars, and other creative talent from Lyric season. Lyric does one session per opera, and they typically happen a few days prior to the opening of each production. The Discovery Series is open to the public and is a terrific way to get up close and personal with Lyric's artists. All of the Discovery Series sessions are recorded and are featured as part of this podcast series. For tickets and more information, visit lyricopera.org. And now let's head over to the UBS Tower for this Discovery Series session on Lucia di Lammermoor. The moderator is Lyric Opera dramaturg and broadcaster Roger Pines. Roger? We're very lucky to have three remarkably gifted and thoughtful guests this evening, our Lucia, our Edgardo, and our Maestro. Um, Susanna Phillips's potential for stardom was already clear at Lyric during her tenure at the Ryan Opera Center. That included a main stage performance of Gounod's Juliette, which she sang at short notice and with quite astounding poise. Um, since then, she has attracted tremendous attention as Pamina and Musetta at the Met, where she has been honored as the youngest recipient to date of the very coveted Beverly Sills Award. Two months ago, she was featured on PBS in the opening of the Lincoln Center uh, 2011 Mostly Mozart Festival, which was telecast live on PBS. Uh, she's earned praise for four Mozart operas in Santa Fe, for Britain's Midsummer Night's Dream in Boston, Gluck's Orfeo ed Euridice in Minnesota, appearances with the major orchestras of Chicago, Baltimore, and Stockholm, recitals at New York's Alice Tully Hall and Weill Hall. She'll soon be debuting in Europe, singing the Figaro Countess in Bordeaux and Pamina in Barcelona. Giuseppe Filianotti enjoyed a wonderful critical and public success in his lyric debut two seasons ago as Nemorino in The Elixir of Love. 
Both Edgardo and Nemorina were signature roles for him. Donizetti operas have brought him to many prestigious opera companies, including the Met, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Covent Garden, La Scala. And he sang the triumphant premiere of a new elixir at Munich's Bayerische Staatsoper. At the Met, besides Lucia and Elixir, he started in Rigoletto, La Rondine. And last season, he gave a sensational portrayal of Offenbach's Hoffmann. He's also been very successful at the major companies of Vienna, Berlin, Hamburg, and Madrid, among many others. He's returning to Lyric, having just earned great reviews as Macduff in Macbeth at the Salzburg Festival. This season's highlights include La Scala's Don Giovanni, the Paris Opera's Manon, and the Hamburg Staatsoper's um, La Boheme. Um, Italian conductor Massimo Zanetti is making his lyric opera debut with Lucia. He's former music director of the Flemish Opera in Antwerp. He's led performances of a wide repertoire in many of the most important European houses, from the state operas of Dresden, Berlin, Munich, and Hamburg, to the Paris Opera, Opernhaus Zurich, Covent Garden, La Scala, all the major Italian houses, and Opera Australia. He's also been on the podium for Macbeth at San Francisco Opera. His symphonic work includes engagements with the Czech Philharmonic, NHK Symphony, Staatskapelle Dresden, Stuttgart Radio, Weimar Staatskapelle, many other major orchestras. He began the current season conducting Bohème at Stockholm's Royal Opera, and he conducted a symphonic program at Prague's Vorjak Festival. Later this season, he'll be in Turin for Bohème, in Zurich for Turandot, and he'll lead concerts in Germany, China, and Taiwan. So please join me in welcoming to the Discovery Series Susanna Phillips, Giuseppe Filianotti, and Massimo Zanetti. While, and, uh, while everybody's getting themselves settled, um, I, raise your hand if you've not heard Lucia in the theater before. Okay, there are enough people so that it's worth telling the story in a nutshell. All right. <laughs> Lucia Ashton and Edgardo of Ravenswood are in love. Edgardo is the last of his family. His family is the enemy of the Ashtons, particularly Enrico Ashton, Lucia's nasty brother. While Edgardo's away on a secret diplomatic mission, Enrico, having learned that his, his sister is in love with Edgardo, uses forged letters to make Lucia believe that Edgardo has been unfaithful. Enrico then forces his sister into a marriage with Lord Arturo Buckelaw that will greatly benefit the Ashton family. Before the wedding guest, Lucia has just signed the, con- the marriage contract when Edgardo appears and denounces her. She goes mad, kills her new husband on her wedding night. When Edgardo hears that Lucia has died, he kills himself. There you go. So it's an upper. Yeah. So when it comes to the serious bel canto operas, there really is no contest in terms of popularity. There's Lucia, and then there's everything else. So if you were going to tell someone who had not been Lucia, to Lucia before the, the, the best possible reason to go to a performance, that, summing, up, summing up the appeal of this piece, what is the first thing you would say? Me? Any of you. <laughs> start, start, it's okay. <laughs> I think the most easy thing to say about this, because the story is not quite so simple, <laughs> like it, it told us, it's the interest we have for the mad a woman for love that go mad for for love. That's uh, special. It was new for that time. And uh, for beautiful music, that is the mad scene, the Verana, Tesul Laure, everyone can uh, remember 
this, uh, this music like in Traviata. It's impossible not to cry at the end. And so for this reason, Bohème, so for this reason, also Lucia with Bohème, Traviata, in my opinion, are, um, is one of the most famous opera. Uh, and so many people like to cry there, uh, <laughs> to stay there, to cry for many reasons, all because the singers are not good or because of the story. <laughs> so. Susanna? Um, I would say that uh, for me, Lucia is the ideal bel canto opera because uh, for those of you who may not know, bel canto means beautiful singing. And so at the end of the day, if you were just to sit down and listen to the opera without seeing anything, you would still get the dramatic intention behind what's going on. It's the perfect, perfect synthesis of drama and music um, in this opera for me. So. Massimo. Um, I think uh, the fact that it represents uh, the best example of what it, the romantic opera, the Italian romantic melodrama is, that's even one very strong point that we have to take in consideration. Uh, we were mu moving during that uh, years, so the, the, the first half of the 19th century, 1830, 35, uh, towards a new uh, uh, feeling, a new, a new way to represent uh, what the romanticism was was bringing in every kind of uh, uh, arts, of course. And in the music, we, we can really definitely find in, in Lucia the prototype, the, 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 the most important example of that new way to feel. And as Giuseppe was really saying something very important, because these melodies are really touching the heart of the people. Not only easy to remember, even if they are beautiful, they are quite easy to remember, because it's a very... Um, I, I, let, let's use this adjective, simple, but simple in, in, in the highest uh, meaning, okay? Uh, and and, and you, you are absolutely touched from this, this beauty that there is in the music. And, of course, the plot, it does make uh, uh, sense. Uh, it has, it, it, it's, of course... Uh, not only the, the, the romantic story of a, of, a, of a love story, but there are really many, many, many um, uh, facts that we have to take in consideration. As Giuseppe said, the story is not that simple from the beginning. There are some facts that are not... Uh, you, ca you can't understand them if you don't read them before of it. But the story is really very, very uh, complicated. It's a, it's a struggle between power, of two, two families' power that we have also to take in consideration. And uh, so... Yeah, and to have in just one opera a tenor and a soprano, that, it's, it's amazing. That's drama it's, enough. It's <laughs> and let's Bohème, not, just one. Exactly, Traviato, here too. one, this two. But, but oh let's not God. even forget that there is a really connection with the, with the uh, story of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, we can yeah. really make a, a compare with, the, with, the, with this... Uh, with this story, of course. You know, bel canto, we keep th tossing this term around. Um, it's thrown around a lot without our necessarily understanding exactly what characterizes it. You've said that bel canto equals beautiful singing. Well, no. with Lucia, you're, de uh, but you, you're dealing with a piece that's held, held up as a supreme example, yeah. the supreme example of bel canto. So 
It's not just beautiful singing, is it? It's would, how, do, how is that beautiful singing actually achieved in this style? Uh, um, you know, I wouldn't say that it's really the uh, highest uh, example of bel canto because then what we say about, about Norma, what we say about Norma, what we say about Puritani and so on. Uh, we have to be very careful with these um, terms, with these words, because uh, bel canto can, can, can be a judge over a technical point of view. It's a, it's a, vocal, a vocal technique, bel canto. As Susanna said, sing well, but not only. Sing with virtuosism, uh, that means a lot of ornaments, with the possibility to um, extend the voice from the lowest part to the highest part. And it's something that uh, it, it didn't born in, in the 19th century, but it born really much more before. Technically, bel canto, it's already what you can see with Pergolesi and, and so on. So uh, 17th century, 18th century, and so on. Bel canto, then, uh, under the, the, the point of view of uh, uh, a beautiful uh, melodical line that, uh, let's, let's make it easy in this way, in, the begin- in this first half of the 19th century, things are changing very fast, not only in the music, but in all the aspects. Uh, industrial uh, revolution, uh, all the arts are really developing very fast. And the way to sing is changing in a very fast way because the mood, the feeling in general is changing in a very fast way. We have already Wagner starting to do things that are completely different from, from this style. And Verdi, so uh, that begins to, to, to compose in that years. And Bel Canto was uh, uh, like to underline this way to sing, this old way to sing with this beautiful legati melody compare with the way to sing that was making much more attention, putting much more attention to the dramatic meaning of the words. And so Wagner didn't care about uh, always to have a beautiful, uh, a beautiful line, but to be very meaningful with... with, with uh, um, the expression of the word. But he loved Bellini. Of course. Who not? <laughs> Who not? It's impossible not to love him. And Verdi too. Verdi was really um, underlining so much this aspect of the dramatic sense of the word. It, it became his, his uh, main point uh, during his uh, years of composition. And this was just a, a way to underline this, let's ho- say, old way to think about music. So these two aspects has to be really very, very well uh, defined and divided, of course. Now, moving to the actual vocalism, Susanna and Giuseppe, when you sing in the bel canto style, are you doing, what, do you, what are your primary concerns? What is most important to you in, in dealing with the style? Um, I agree with maestro because I can do all of this. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. No, uh, we have performance bit, tomorrow. Then. Yeah, <laughs> I pay attention. <laughs> no, it's it's true because we cannot speak about bel canto because this term means many many things and everything is bel canto behind us. Always bel canto was pergolesi and not uh, after uh, Rossini, bel canto before Rossini and after Rossini. It's, it's, bel canto means to sing beautifully, really. And uh, especially it's something that we can talk today like uh, 
a technique to sing. That's mean. You have you uh, uh, you as a singer have to learn how to to do messa di voce. So to take a sound piano and open it forte and to come back piano to make trills to make uh, ornaments. Uh, ornaments to have a, a from the top to the to top to the bottom. Your voice has to be equally no gaps between that. That's bel canto and. For save your voice and to and especially today we are lucky. We know that you have to sing with bel canto also verismo, <laughs> and that's the most beautiful thing if you can do. But me, the temperature is maybe I can say there is there is like a line in one, two, three, four, five. If you sing pergolesi, you have to stay in the one. Maybe Handel in the second, you go in and uh, put uh, Rossini and five, uh, Donizetti, Bellini, Verdi, more, and that's on. But uh, I remember when I sang with um, Brusono, Mariella, De Via, they, at the beginning, they told me, remember, the most beautiful, most important thing to sing this kind of music is don't go too much, to express too much. You have to keep a little bit a line uh, because you have to have the control always of a beautiful sound. That's mean to to have a nobility in your voice and to find a, a sound that have, has soul inside but also is a beautiful. We have to, to be like instrument. So that's it. And, and I, re, I always today, if I take a recording of Lucia, I can say I prefer Kraus because he's most uh, today controlled. Uh, controlled. And the, the line, yes, maybe Di Stefano is more oh, full of passion. But at the end, if I have to choose something, I say, well, it's more complete, it's more in style, that kind of uh, character, that kind of singing for Donizetti. If you sing maybe Cavalleria or Pagliacci, maybe you, you prefer <laughs> to uh, something more. So, so Susanna, when, when you're dealing with the vocal line in Lucia, are you, how are you thinking of it, you know, versus, you know, the, the, you, you do so much Mozart, do you, are you thinking, are your priorities the same? That's a good question, actually. Um, I, I think that uh, Giuseppe hit the nail on the head when um, he said it has to be elegant. It has to be, at, at the end of the day, it has to be a noble, elegant sound in this style, I, I think. And I think that also translates to Mozart. I think both of them, if you sing them in a very simple, elegant way, that's when it comes across. That's when the drama is the most touching. When you have something like uh, the Countess singing Dove Sono and having it just be so heart-wrenching, when it's so simple when she comes back to the Dove Sono line again, it's part of what is so gut-wrenching about it is its simplicity and um, the drama that's innate in the sound. And I think that applies here. 
Um, I also think that um, Lucia is hard, turns out. <laughs> and so to, like, to, to learn it and to get it into your voice seamlessly, so from top to bottom has one sound, is a challenge. And to, to be able to do that, I think, was my challenge in this piece. Now, you had all mentioned ornamentation, but only in passing, so I want to come back to that because it, it's not crucial, really, for Edgardo doesn't really have many opportunities yeah, be, to ornament. Because in, with Edgardo, was written for Dupre, one of the modern tenor at that time, that uh, he did the first uh, see in full voice the door, no? Do di petto. Do di petto, the famous do di petto. I see from the chest. So <laughs> it's, not, it's not like uh, like Rubini, uh, the Bellini tenor. So uh, we are talking about something that is a, another bel canto, another step of bel canto, so close to Verdi also, because Dupre sang uh, also for Verdi operas. And um, so he, he was not so able to, to, go in, to go to do these ornaments. And uh, so the line was uh, really romantic and uh, simple. And all these ornaments uh, are now for soprano, for fe- feminine voice. It's more, it's not like... Uh, uh, the the um, the past in the past when uh, Donizetti wrote uh, ornamenti for uh, also tenor. This is a really romantic hero, easy, and um, for this reason, for Dupre was the best uh, to make a difficult line with no ornaments. But <laughs> whereas with Lucia, it becomes an important issue. So yeah. the question then for Susanna and for Massimo. Okay, Susanna, did you arrive with your ornaments already prepared? And Massimo, is that what you prefer? Do you prefer the singer to come with the ornaments, or do you prefer to work it out with the singer together? She's smiling. Have you seen that? (laughs) I am. No, I I arrived with a set of ornaments prepared, and then we we worked together to find out which ones we would do for this performance. It's not a decision that you take a part... Of the of the dramatic um, uh, nerve that there is inside the opera, uh, I think uh, we can say that now because we have we have the premiere two days ago and uh, we are very happy because it went really very well. I think the thing, and I'm telling you this just for one reason, because I think the people got that the work that uh, the fantastic Catherine Malfitano as a director has done, the work that. All of us, musically, uh, have done, it was absolutely together. It was something that was going on the same direction. That means that even the ornaments has to have a sense. So uh, it's over already in that time. Donizetti was very precise on writing the ornaments. There's just uh, one point in which the ornaments are not written. In fact, it is used to put something, to to, to do something, but there is a reason also for that, and it's the med scene, okay? All the other ornaments are absolutely written, and they are exactly for the dramatic moment in which you have to do them. Mm-hmm. What is making this interpretation of Susanna sensational, from my point of view, is the fact that she always succeeds, and I hope you are all going to see it and hear it, she really succeeds to 
give a sense to all these coloratura. They are not like, okay, now I show you how brave I am to do, but ah, no, it's not. She is doing with a real dramatic meaning. Every small colors, every small uh, trill and mordente and so on that she is doing has a reason, has a dramatic reason. So, to come back to your uh, question, uh, we have decided them in order to follow this feeling. So sometimes we found, you know what, maybe it's too long, let's cut it. Maybe this is too much. Or maybe, no, here, let's do this, because this is really very important to do. I remember one very important place during the, the med scene. We decided before to cut it because it was not working at the beginning. But then, then she found, she found by herself the way to do them, but in a different way in which she presented the first time. So this, this is a work in progress, of course. It's interesting because um, I, I, this is the very beginning of Lucia for me. Uh, I've sang my first stage Lucia earlier this year for two performances, so I really feel like this is my first run of it. Um, and it's interesting because when I first approached it, I wanted to approach it as um, close to the score as possible. So all of the ornaments, save maybe two or three, are uh, actually written in the score. They are all little notes that are actually written in the score. And I tried very hard to keep it as clean and as, as como escrito as possible. Um, and I, I'm finding that, for me, at this point, that's, that's really all I need to discover so many things. One of the challenging things about Lucci in the first place is that so many sopranos have... Um, yeah, tried it. You have it. everything from Maria Callas and Joan Sutherland to Lily Pons and uh, Beverly Sills and Natalie Desay. And if you were to have all those sopranos line up and each sing, you know, the first line of the opera, the very first line of the very first recit, it would be so vastly different from volume to um, color to interpretation. Everything is completely, completely different. And the fact that so many sopranos can find a character in this piece is uh, a, a testament to its um, uh, glory, I think. Um, and for me, that also applies to the coloratura. When you have someone like Natalie Desay or like Beverly Sills or Joan Sutherland who have extraordinary coloratura and extension in their, in their voices, they apply that in the way they interpret the role. Um, and you, know, you listen to someone like Maria Callas who uses less ornamentation and more kind of legato in her singing. And it's, it's a purely personal choice dependent on your instrument and your interpretation of the role, I think. And, you and the production. And the production, you, absolutely. You also realize when you go back to the score how much of the piece that you're used to hearing was totally not written by Donizetti. Mm-hmm. And it just happens constantly. We'll, we'll talk about the mad scene in a bit, but you know, when you consider that the, the, we always assume that a cadenza needs to be there accompanied by the flute when Donizetti had nothing to do with that. But um, I, I, I think we really need to talk about what the piece is about dramatically, uh, Susanna, what do you think the piece is about? What is, it, what is it saying about relationships? What is it saying about family? What is it saying about love? Um, uh, Catherine Malfitano actually said something very interesting at the first day of rehearsal. She said at, at its essence, um, this production for her is a love story between Edgardo and Lucia. And that was the most important thing that we tried to portray was the great love between those two characters. Um, and for me, that I found that to be very moving um, and an interesting thing to kind of 
work towards. I also found, found it fascinating to, to try and, and explore madness and, and how someone achieves that. I think it's important to go from and take the whole opera as a scale to, you know, you have this very vibrant, happy, almost manic first act aria talking about when Edgardo is going to meet you. And then, um, the oppression of the brother and the oppression of the priest and the oppression of society. And it's only through madness that she escapes and can be with her lover. And it's a fascinating progression to explore uh, for me. What do you think? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, in the opera, uh, love is the first, uh, first uh, line and uh, the, not the easy love, but the, uh, um, and um, I think I think that the, the most uh, one of the the most uh, interesting thing for audience is to understand there is a fate that is against love from the beginning, and that's that made love more interesting for us, and we are waiting for maybe this time is the the real one they can stay together yes always in another life. And so in Don Carlo is the same. Uh, or um, and the, just if you are looking for a romantic opera, a serious opera, uh, that's uh, move yourself about this impossible love. The real love that we 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 are waiting for is for maybe in another life. And uh, Lucia is one of these opera. I think the, the the center is always that, all because of the family, because there there are uh, these two families against uh, fighting, or because of everything. And but at the end, uh, when um, like Lucia in this case. For the, the the problem of the love, the the love, they uh, she um, lose her mind, like in Macbeth, Lady Macbeth lose her mind for the the murder for that. It's something that put the audience and uh, our mood in a very special way. And that's it. The opera is interesting. Is uh, like to go to the movie and to cry for that. Massimo, anything you'd like to add to this? No, quite... nothing that I want to add because it's exactly all these kind of things. Yes, yes. Um, Giuseppe, you, you sang for us two years ago Nemorino, which... Leggero tenors sing, and then you also. It's not leggero. Uh, <laughs> but then you also just sang Macduff, which both lyric tenors and spinto tenors sing. So, in relation to those, where is Edgardo? Okay, I will. I will tell you a story that it's very nice, and I think very interesting. Uh, so I worked with Muti, and he said in the first rehearsal of uh, Macbeth, he said, okay, people, and uh, everyone has to understand that Verdi is a classic, very classic composer. We have to think that we, we are looking at a score of a classic. That means that Verdi is very close to Donizetti. So you can sing everything with the full voice with a small voice all depend of that man 
is conducting. <laughs> With that man, if you have a good man, you can do everything. If you don't have, th th that's true because the power is from there and also the orchestration. I, I can, uh, can agree this. But I cannot see, uh, I remember, okay, uh, first, Elisir d'Amore is not for me a, a light opera because uh, it's a very long opera in comparison with uh, Lucia. And you sing a, a lot. A lot, and you have to run a lot <laughs> from there to there to, to make this stupid man, <laughs> so, stupid boy, to so go around, run and sing, round, round, and at the end you stay and you have to sing Una Furia, oh my God. <laughs> so this not, not, it's never, never easy, and many lyric tenor did that. So maybe if you have, have a, a lighter voice, it's more easy. And especially for uh, my first uh, uh, Lucia that was in Turin in 2000, uh, uh, I talked with uh, Alfredo Kraus, he was my teacher, and I asked him, I said, well, can I do this role? What, did, what do you think about it? He said, you know, Lucia, it's a very good role for tenor. There was, mm, is, uh, there was very uh, a dramatic tenor that did that role and lighter tenor that did. you can do both. It's important to have uh, to have this um, idea of bel canto we talked before. That uh, it's important to to be in the character and to do your uh, your uh, character L like Werther. Werther is not a light role. But if you have not a, a, a duttile, how you say, duttile voice, flexible, flexible, <laughs> flexible voice, voice, you cannot really do what is written in the score. So uh, if you have a very heavy voice at the end, uh, how can you, can you sing with a, a, a pianissimo tu che addio spiegasti lali? It's written in that way. That means that, you know, uh, we need to accept that today we sing better than in the past. And we are, I, I agree with this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm totally convinced about this with more technique, with more respect for the music, for what is written in. And so maybe sometimes you say, oh, I want to listen Corelli uh, singing that. That's, yes, but it's possible to do. But you, no one director will accept what Corelli did in the past. Cut everything, and full voice, never piano, or some piano, a very long note till, keep till the end. With Muti it's not possible, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my, maybe today to, to say, oh, this is a light voice, this is, a, it's, a, it's something that we have to forget. It's a voice, it's, this is my voice. I sing the role that I feel comfortable for my voice. And if you cannot listen to me, it's the problem of the director. He has to play less. <laughs> um, Susanna, looking at the score, is the role of Lucia for high soprano, or do you think it really belongs more to a lyric soprano with an unusually high extension? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, I kind of... Uh, kind of in the same vein with Giuseppe I feel like if you sing it well if you sing it purely and beautifully with your voice I think any voice can sing it I think a light voice or a heavier voice um, in, in my opinion I like a fuller voice singing Lucia 
Um, I like someone like Kala singing it because uh, when you get to the second act, um, middle voice, kind of heavier sections. Hello. Um, <laughs> the kind of bigger, heavier sections, they really carry. Or the, the, to find the right color for the al fin son tua, the finally you're mine in the, in the mad scene, I feel like you have to have a, a core presence in the middle voice, which is lacking in some of the lighter voice singers. Now, you take someone like Diana Demrau, who does a stunning Lucia, and she has a higher, lighter voice, and she has achieved that kind of color in her middle voice that, um, for me, I find to be very, very beautiful, and so I think she's a lovely Lucia. But in general, I find that I prefer a heavier-voiced um, Lucia, fuller-voiced Lucia. And there is a version. The first version uh, is higher. It's a step higher. A step higher, yeah. but it's impossible to do with the coloratura. So maybe uh, Donizetti thought about a heavier voice for Lucia, and after the tradition and of this lighter voice soprano, make, made a step down and with coloratura, we never know. So, um, Massimo, as in most bel canto operas, there are some fairly simple rhythmic patterns that accompany some of these arias and ensembles. So the big question then is, how do you on the podium give musical interest to accompaniments of that kind where it's dominated by a rhythmic pattern that isn't particularly complex? It's something very difficult to realize this because all these easy, let's call it easy parts, which are pretty boring for the orchestra too because when you do that, it's nothing, seems to be nothing, but... It's like the blood that is the, inside the vein. It's something that it, it must be underlined in the right way and in that moment in which, when, when you do right, then the whole uh, speech is different. Um, there's something that we have to consider. In that time, the struggle for Donizetti was between how to maintain to keep the traditions. So things that people wanted to hear and see. And to start with new things. To start to present new way to do music, to present music. Um, this is one of the uh, traditional things, this kind of accompagnamento that, above all in that age, you had to take in consideration. Uh, like or we, the same speech we can do for the recitativi. But what is interesting is the way in which he used it. And uh, uh, it's up to the conductor then to try to find the treasure that there is inside them and to make the orchestra play them with the most careful, in the most careful way. Sometimes with a little bit of vibrato to give it a sort of warmness in the sound. Sometimes maybe without a vibrato. That means that the words that they are saying are words that are talking about something cold. And so we have really to try to be very careful every time, ask ourselves, what is the text about in this moment? What we are saying, what we are telling, which kind of the story are we telling? And um, if you put all these cares, then even this very simple line uh, can be so interested and are really very important, I tell you. Are there particular instruments, that Donat solo instruments, that Donizetti cared particularly about 
in this piece, I know there's a, a lengthy introduction to the second scene, which is for harp. Is that sort of exceptional? No, it's not. A, I mean, it's a coming in that it's another thing that Donizetti <clears throat> is trying to, 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 to bring as a, uh, something that Verdi uh, kept, absolutely, uh, but something that uh, uh, probably before we haven't seen. I mean, with Mozart, it's, it's very difficult to say that that instrument is trying to, to, to represent that man, but uh, this is something that with Donizetti we can definitely say, my God, it's really developing. Um, you talk about the, 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 the harp in that point. But uh, first of all, we don't have to forget that Walter Scott in his Bride of Love and Moor already spoke about the, uh, when, Lu- when Lucia comes in the Bride of Love and Moor of Scott, the, the, the drama, uh, <clears throat> the written drama, uh, she is playing a luto. So maybe we can see uh, uh, like a memory of that. But in that case, the harp, you know the harp, what represents harp? The most celestial instrument. And this shows so well what is the clarity of this wonderful, uh, clean, uh, naive uh, personality that really still think in that moment that life is beautiful, that everything is possible, that love will win, and so on, and so on, and so on. So the harp represents this kind of... Um, Virginity, let's say. But then there, there will be other instruments that will intro, introduce her, like this very sad oboe mm-hmm. in the big duet, one of the most incredible parts written, because I don't, I don't remember such a long duet before that, 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 this opera, between Lucia and her brother. Then there is an oboe who is really crying, introducing her. And... Um, so this is really something that, uh, that, that is very important. We have to remember that. The instruments start to talk for and with the characters. Very new and very important. With the glass harmonica. The, the bicchieri, how you say, the, was yeah. written, the medicine was written for that. So uh, the, This is true. It, it, was, so it was thought about that. Of, yeah, but why? Even there, there's a reason. I mean, reason. It's, not, it's not just not because. Okay, let's use Sound. it. But uh, uh, you know, you, we all have done this. No, this is a, a discovery that uh, Galileo actually <laughs> have done. But but who developed that instrument is uh, uh, a citizen of yours, Benjamin Richard. Franklin. So I mean, it's Must thanks have, to you. Have you conducted the matching using the glass harmonica? I didn't, but also because you have to know that this. Very strange thing, but it's my first Lucia. And it's very oh, yeah. strange that I wait, waited so many years in order to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's wonderful because I've done so many things that came afterward and doing things uh, with a different re- retrospective and perspective is really very interesting, despite of it. Um, I think the choice was just because this instrument is, has nothing to do with the hearth uh, feeling. Uh, how, how do you say? Earthly? It's very, very, very so, otherworldly. It's very mm. not of earth. And that's what he wanted to, to, uh, he wanted to, to, to show her um, uh, to be already in another dimension, not anymore on the earth, but already with her mind, mad mind, I don't know, crazy mind, for sure something else. She said, 
I, can, I, I don't uh, accept to live this life on the earth because this doesn't bring this doesn't give me joy. So in order to have my happiness, I have to think about another dimension. So that instrument was thought about that. Very difficult to realize, I think, because even think, uh, uh, how can you do the coloratura with that instrument that are in work. the cadets? It doesn't work. Um, uh, and, you know, the Tacchinardi, who was the first soprano who did this uh, role, um, she, she probably even didn't sing this cadenza that we are oh, normally yeah. doing. She, was, uh, she wasn't even so happy about this uh, uh, moment that she was used to put another aria even. That was, oh, we come back to the, to the, the meaning of bel canto as virtuosistic. Yes, this was in that meaning. Uh, to sing with all these ornaments, even in a moment in which you, you really don't need. Of course, the, the float in that case can allow you to do improvisation and they can follow you. I don't see very easy a glass harmonica following you in doing that, of course. No, it, it, nowadays you don't... I mean, there, there have been isolated performances that use the glass harmonica in the mad scene, but generally you substitute the flute and it's a radically different sound. The, 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 it's, it's beautiful. Feelings, I yeah. think it's beautiful. The I think totally they were different. done be, both. I mean, they were playing both together. Right. It's not one or the other one. So the colors can be very interesting. So can you, uh, can you imagine that Mozart had already done, Beethoven had done, but uh, uh, we don't have to wonder when we, we hear to some, I don't know, John Cage or Stockhausen. That were experiments, my God. That were really experiments in that time. I did hear a mad scene where, um, with Natalie to say actually, where they'd use the glass harmonica, and then when she got to the famous Carenza, uh, she did the whole thing without any other instrument. Mm. Mm. She sang the, and she waited for the other instrument and heard it in her head, but then continued. And so there was no other instrument in that section. I, I thought that was awesome. It's weird. Yeah. Maybe you can do the slowest part. Uh, maybe, mm-hmm. but, but I, of course, I, yeah, I did. That could be I interesting. Think, I think I did. Uh, uh, you did one. La Scala, yeah, was the via with a very special new. Yeah, yeah, you uh, new, uh, yeah. and yeah? she did also the cadenza with that. With I, that, yeah. So, but they have, but of course, was, was, was very simple, then, of course, completely different than what she was yeah, doing. Yeah, the, the rhythm yeah, yeah. is uh, the soprano does. Yeah, all of course, these, uh, and it was something else that else. can be interesting. Yeah. In, in, be. The op- in the opening scene of this opera, uh, Lucia has her first aria, and then she is on stage for the rest of the scene because the second half of it is her big duet with Edgardo. So, in terms of character, Susanna, what is most important for you to be communicating to your audience in those two very crucial episodes? Um, for me, I think it's to discover her and, and show the audience just how uh, young and happy and in love she is. This is, the opera, this is the only time in the opera she gets to actually be happy, <laughs> you know, until the mad scene when she's crazy. So it's, it's when she's authentically happy to see Edgardo and authentically happy to tell Elisa about Edgardo. I think it's, uh, you, it's so important to showcase that so that when she falls, it's falling from something um, to me. That is really one of the great distinctions of this production, I think, which is the, the, the Edgardo-Lucia relationship is so completely b- believable, and it's, it so reminds you of Romeo and Juliet in their early meetings. Yeah. They are so completely in love. That, so I'm just very touched just watching the two of you in that duet. At the end, too, I, I think. I think that Catherine had that in mind when she thought to bring her back on the scene. Mm-hmm. Bring back the dead Lucia yes. in the last scene. Yes. yes. 
And well, let's be clear, kiss. it's not hard to fall in love with somebody like Giuseppe when he sings like that and looks the way he does. So it's, it's Yuri easy. Yuri says, don't move. <laughs> Giuseppe, what, what qualities of Edgardo's character come through most strongly in that first appearance, in this very first scene? That is the, we can see uh, musically and dramatically also the 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 type romantic hero he can be sweet in love and furious <laughs> in the same after two pages <laughs> so yes you have the sulla tomba it's full of rage mystery of, the, uh, yeah, yeah. of uh, angry for for the problems and that's it Family. and after okay i want to marry you now <laughs> <laughs> so that's it that's that's the there is really a, a, a short and a, really a really a really lie um how can i say you uh, yeah no um un uh, filo sottile uh, a very subtle line, line. between between yeah. to be to be uh, this angry is a and to be angry happy and to be happy and to be uh, sweet and that's it in, in the first duet there is everything everything you're right in the scene in Enrico's study which opens act 2 we have an aria for the bass that is often cut but is com- is included in our production and that brings me to a very important concern for conductor and cast and director in any production of Lucia and that is cuts I mean you go back to the recording, the first recording that Maria Callas made of this piece from I think 1955 or thereabouts and it's cut to smithereens and the same thing actually happens in some productions still today so uh, Massimo how did you and Catherine Malfitano go about deciding what sort of cuts, if any, you were going to make? A part of a general concept, because we, we really said, let's try to do everything is written. Because if that was the idea of the composer, why we have to decide, cut here, cut here. We have good singers, we have a good idea to develop them, even with the repetition during the, the, the cabalette. If you have good ideas, uh, dramatically speaking and musically speaking, why not to do? If you do variations, different colors, why not to do? And singers, of course, first of all, able, able to sing so well. <clears throat> so we decided, let's try. In that particular moment, I have to say that uh, I would miss it if we... The bass have, sorry, you're yes. talking about. I mean, it, it's anyway inside a duet. Let's not forget it. She's doing three duets, one <laughs> after another, in that, in that half an hour of, of music. It's unbelievable, the character, uh, how much meat he put on the fire, we can say. Um, but uh, uh, I would miss it. I would miss it because I, wouldn't, I would not understand completely the character of uh, Lucia Susanna in this case. Um, it's very important to know which is the process that brings her to accept something like this. Uh, because she doesn't want, she's, she's not so fragile. She doesn't want to accept it. But the tutor, in this case we have the tutor. You know, this is a character that we will find 30 years later with Verdi, with the name of Grande Inquisitore in Don Carlo. This line is so connected. The power. There's something that has to be protected, that means uh, 
everything above all your feelings, above all your interest. There's something much more important than that, that your life is the family, is the power of the family, is the, all these things. I would not cut this part if I can, because you would miss all this connection. Then you suddenly find somebody, a Lucia, that is accepting a destiny. But why? This is a, there is a process. There is so much push on her. There's also a whole scene that is often cut, which we are including, which is the tenor baritone duet, the Wolfscrag scene. It's tremendously exciting, and it's thrilling in our production, I think. So, Giuseppe, does it feel when you sing the Wolfscrag scene, first of all, in most of your, because you've sung more than 10 productions, right? Do you yeah, always do the, the duet? I'm young, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did uh, my first Lucia in, I said, in... Uh, Turin, to, you said, yeah, 2000? To, to, to 2000, so... You've uh, done 50 productions. Yeah, a lot, but always with the tower, only in Vienna because it was a very old production. production? So, yeah. No, no, I did also in Vienna. They uh-huh. put after. The problem that this time I did for the first time all the, 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 the tower scene completely. Mm-hmm. So with the second strophe that I don't remember the words. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I reveal you that the, the, the prompter has a big words <laughs> written there yeah. to show us. You remember, don't sing the first, sing yeah. the second strophe. Okay. But again, is that a... That it's difficult. Is, I, I, I can say it's really tiring. Uh, especially for the baritone, I think, but also for the tenor, because it's a tessitura really yeah. high and try to in- insist for the second time. But if there is a reason that all the opera is with a really less cut possible, uh, you have to accept it for 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 a glory. <laughs> but we have really, uh, you yeah, can say know, that we I have know. really tried to, to do yeah, anything more. was possible. Yeah. Uh, we, we didn't want to jeopardize anything. Yeah, yeah, so no, we no, no, really tried to not. make everybody comfortable with it. But it's a great second performance. <laughs> <laughs> Susanna, you, you have the most famous mad scene in opera to sing. So how does Donizetti's music help you in communicating madness? Oh, that's a good question. You're very full of good questions today, <laughs> Roger. Um, I, I think I would have to go back to what we were talking about earlier, where the, it's the simplicity of the music, to me, speaks volumes. I think um, the way it's it's written, the the sudden tempo changes and the sudden color changes, um, going from a very sweet uh, rendition of Varanote to the seeing of the of the ghost and how, how that goes back and forth so quickly and, and he really wrote it in the score and if you, you just do what's on the page it, it's mad enough I think I think it's f- fascinating yeah. to discover it that way um, yeah. um, I'm sure that all of us uh, wonder about this I always whenever I see Lucia I wonder what the thinking is as far as you know, for the director and the singer are we going to do clinically accurate madness are we, or are we going to get as far from realism as you can get? So what was your thinking in, uh, in your work with Catherine in creating the mad scene as, for, uh, as to the, the, what the physical madness, the physical depiction of madness was going to be? Well, um, thankfully I'm not drawing on personal experience with madness. Um, but that said, I think from what I understand when uh, in, in the research that I've done, when you are 
when you are demented or when something is off with you, you don't think you are. You don't think that anything's wrong. And so for me, um, when we were discovering this together, it was, it was the finding a very pure, simple truth for each phrase and making that as clear as possible and as big as possible so that doing those things made it look completely crazy. But in, in reality, it's as real as possible, in, in, in my opinion, to find that kind of clarity, I think, is the challenge because it's easy to go off and just kind of do you know, a, a vocal masterclass in this, but it's finding each phrase and finding the meaning behind each phrase for her that is real, that is, for me, um, maddening. How did you decide, given that, that a, fl- a flute accompanied cadenza was indeed going to be included, how, do you, how did you decide which cadenza, which version of this cadenza you were going to use? I went to, um, before we, we, we collaborated on it once we were in rehearsals, but to prepare to come uh, to rehearsals, I again went to try to go to source material. And so I went to the score, and there's nothing written in the score. So I turned to uh, a, a series of books by Ricci, who wrote very traditional, very clear uh, cadenzas that every soprano knows and every soprano it's does. been using for, what, probably six or seven decades. Very or long time. And um, I went to that, and I, I found the pieces, the sections of those cadenzas that worked for me, both vocally and dramatically, that I believed in um, and that I felt like I could achieve. Um, he, the wonderful thing about those cadenzas in, in these volumes is that he writes out, gosh, nine or ten versions of the cadenza, and it intends you to, to, he intends for you to go in and choose it and make it your own. He just gives you kind of ideas to work with. And I really wanted to do something as traditional um, and personal at the same time. And one thing I think we're doing that I, I, I'm fascinated by the, that the maestro suggested when we first had our Skype session over the phone before we came um, was that at the end of the mad scene, instead of going up to a high E flat or resolving down to a low E flat, as I've always heard it done, um, it remains unresolved um, at, at the end of the flute cadenza. So it stays on the high B flat. And so the chorus resolves and the orchestra resolves the chord and cadences, but I don't. And I, it's really a very stunning moment for me because um, it's, it continues. It doesn't stop. It, you can see that her mind is continuing in this, this motion. Okay. It's sort of unnerving to listen to because your voice, we can hear your voice sort of fading away into the texture. That's what we wanted to do it's, it's, because she is in another dimension, completely alone by herself there. And you're sort of, as an audience member, you're sort of afraid to breathe there. And I don't know how you feel. So am I. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing moment. I think we haven't said much about what this production is going to look like. So what can all of you say about the decision to move Lucia up a little bit in time and put it in the mid-19th century? Does that... What, well, can you repeat, please? Um, <laughs> the, the decision to take the plot and move it forward in time yeah. so that it's happening in the mid-19th century yeah. instead of a couple hundred years before that. Is yeah, it's, today every, every stage director does this because it's more easy to, to put... Uh, I did a Werther in this way. To, I did uh, 
uh, I did uh, forced in this way because today it's more easy not to stay in the dress and uh, of the, uh, the the real the real time all time so it's more close to us and uh, I think some I did an Hoffman in that time too so it's very uh, it's not a new thing we have to be real And I like that because, um, for example, for me, for Werther, it's more easy to uh, staging in uh, a closer time than to go with really uh, wigs and something. Uh, it's more concrete, more real. The, uh, so I think it's, uh, it was a good idea to follow this uh, This kind of I think it's also interesting to um, to take the story of, of an opera um, and look at it at what kind of what the characters are experiencing not necessarily in the specific time it's difficult with Lucia because it's so specific about when it was said and what happens and where mm. they are and who they are but um, I, I find it fascinating to take something and take for example to say that um, Lucia is a, a, a woman oppressed and so you take you take it and you said it in the 1950s and a woman oppressed who, who can't you know, express herself as she would like to, or you take it and you said it in the, you know, early 1900s and, uh, or the early 1800s. And at each time you can find a way to express that, um, and make it identifiable with the times. Um, and I find that to be very interesting. It doesn't always work, but, um, I think in this case it does. Yeah. I just have one more question, which is, is there any other bel canto repertoire that all of you dream about performing? that we might have to look forward to in the next yeah. s- some years? I have to, to do uh, Roberto de Vereux. I was so thinking about another, that, yeah. yeah. So it's another one that I love that aria. The prison aria is one of the most beautiful uh, Donizetti aria for tenor. And uh, so I don't think, I don't know... Uh, From Belcanto, Donizetti, I have no... Uh, maybe in the future, Poliuto also. Poliuto, Donizetti, yeah. Um, Massimo, do you have other Belcanto that you... Not necessarily scheduled, but that you sort of dream not about? Not scheduled, and uh, this is a rep- kind of repertoire that I touch very carefully. Ah. I, as I told you, it was practically 10 years. It's very funny because this year, after 10 years, I... I went back to conduct Donizetti. I had I, I did uh, Elysée in Berlin. Then I did a new production of, of a, a, the production of Anna Bolena with Guy Ranschein in Zurich and Eva May. And then this one. Um, I don't know. I mean, if there are other conditions, like in this case, I can think about Poliuto oh. and Don Sebastian. That seems to be oh my God. probably the best thing that he ever. Yeah. Yeah, you have it done. Impossible so, to sing. <laughs> and uh, that can be interesting, yeah. Impossible to sing, but you began your career yeah, with it. I, and I, this, the last time I, I did, I said, this is the last time. <laughs> <laughs> I recorded, I said, this is the last time. No, it's really uh, impossible, really difficult. And Susanna, for you, with a lot to choose from. For the exactly. Soprano. I a think lot. everything she has to do. Come on. Can you imagine what she can do? Well, there's a lot that I want to sing with Ethan, too. Um, the world is in Puritani and oh. Malena and, and Maria Suarda and all, all of them. I'd love to do. I'd, you know, many, many, many years down the road, perhaps Norma, perhaps something that big. You Not will. Not for a very long you time. Will. But 
I mean, there's so many things. It's such an impossible question, Roger. <laughs> no, no, no. Goodness. Thanks God yeah. we have still <laughs> singers like this that can sing this role because we, this is really not so common. It's really uncommon. And thanks God we still have these kind of singers. Well, um, I want to thank our wonderful panel, Massimo Zanetti, Giuseppe Filianotti, Susanna Phillips, and I hope that all of you will be uh, come to Lucia and then come hear it again because you'll hear things the second time that you missed the first time. It's absolutely extraordinary, and I know you will all have a great time at the performances. Thank you for coming. Thank you. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org.